Hi, I'm Greg Yulin with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Uh, today I have an in-person guest. It's always great to have somebody in the studio with me. Uh, I get to talk with Tim Whalen. Tim is the service manager at Voss Chevrolet here in Dayton, Ohio. Voss is a pretty large, uh, pretty large group in the area, but Tim, thanks so much for joining. Sure, happy to be here. Yep, absolutely. Um, well, I, I do appreciate you coming in, too. It's always more fun to just sit and talk in person. Um, you know, the, the on screen is always fun, but uh, having you here, I, I appreciate it. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. So, Tim, if you don't mind, maybe we can start with uh, uh, a little bit about your background. You've been in the industry for quite a while, uh, yeah. you know, at a few different markets even. Sure. Um, so if you could share, I guess, maybe your kind of your kind of history of maybe how you got into automotive and sure. then uh, where you went from there. Uh, it's actually an industry I never wanted to get into, but... <laughs> Uh, I think you'll hear from a lot of people once you do, it sucks you in. So I've been in the industry now for uh, 36, 37 years. Started out most of my career on the uh, East Coast. I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, Moved here about 10 years ago. Um, I've had a lot of different jobs. I've been in sales, been in service, kind of worked the gambit of almost every position. Uh, within the dealership. So uh, lately, uh, last eight years, I've been at Voss Chevrolet as a service manager, and it's a wonderful place to work. Real happy to be there. Good, good. So um, what type of, of volume do you do at the store? Uh, just number of ROs, like customer pages, to give people an idea. So we, we write on average of about 80, 85 repair orders a day. Uh, about 75% of those are customer pay. Okay. All right. Uh, and then how many how many bays do you have? How many techs do you have? So I have uh, about 23 techs altogether. Uh, we have 40-some bays. Um, it's a big shop yeah. spread into two buildings. We have a separate recon department uh, and then our main shop. Okay, perfect. Uh, and being a part of the, the Voss Auto Group, how many stores across the group? So we have seven stores around the okay. area. Yeah. Yep. And then um, I don't remember if you could refresh. You mentioned your recon facility. Does that handle vehicles for every store or is that just for your Chevy location? Primarily for our Chevy location, but we do overflow for the other stores if they get backed up, which happens quite often. We end up doing recons for them as well. Sure. Okay. All right. So that's a good kind of background lay of the land. Um, so one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about today is um, really retention, right? Employee, mm-hmm. well, uh, employer retention certainly, but but getting specifically technicians in. You have 23 technicians with you. Right. Once you have them working for you, um, how do you keep them? You know, and it's right. there, there's a lot of layers to that. So I just wanted to, to maybe start high level, kind of your philosophy and, sure. and if you have any um, any key points or tenants that you try to instill in uh, your team to, to keep techs on board so you're not always searching. Sure. It's a big issue in this industry for yeah. sure. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people look at it the wrong way. Everybody wants to throw money at the situation. And, you know, it's kind of like the government never really solved anything by throwing money at it. It's the same way here. You have to first look at the root issues before you decide, well, I just have to pay my people more. Right. Um, you know, you have to look at your whole setup. Are you running a, an efficient operation? Are you giving everybody opportunities to succeed? Are you valuing your employees? Are you giving them an environment where they feel good about coming to work every day? Yeah. That is my focus. Um, I want to develop some place where people want to come and want to stay long term. And it's been working. So about seven years ago, uh, we decided to change our approach. And I do not go out and look for experienced technicians. I grow my own technicians. And it's been 
hugely successful. So on top of that, I retain the techs that I have. I've only lost two techs in the last five or six years. Oh, wow. And both of those were to a different type of position. I've not lost a tech to another another repair shop or dealership. Wow. So I, 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 that's, a, that's a huge feather in my cap as a manager, uh, a huge feather in the cap of the Voss organization because uh, this is the way we, we treat our employees. Yeah. No, that's great. So I want to I want to dive into that for sure. Sure. But you know, I think of it as, um, and the way you were describing it is like this idea of, of missionary versus mercenary, right? Right. Do you want somebody who's a mercenary who you pay to do a job, sure. and and that's it? But they have no real loyalty to the company. They don't they don't see themselves as part of the organization, right? They see, they see themselves as a hired hand, right? Or do you want a missionary who who buys into the company, who buys into being a part of something bigger than themselves, and and really helping certainly customers, but it's not just you know job by job. It's it's being a part of something bigger. Absolutely. Um, so that that idea of missionary versus mercenary, and it sounds like you you scale way to the side of absolutely of missionary. Where bring them in. The problem Problem is if you if you bring in a mercenary, he's going to be a mercenary for somebody else. If they, right. you know, all they got to do is offer a little bit more, right. and you, you play this roller coaster game. So you know, again, just trying to buy employees is it, not the way to go. You know, the pay for an employee is a, is certainly an important part. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that you know you're being competitive in what you're paying. But pay is not the only thing. Mm-hmm. That is just one of many factors. You yeah. have to look at the other factors. Yeah. So how do you do that? What are what are some of the things that you've implemented over the last seven years you mentioned, right? I mean, that's pretty pretty impressive. You've lost two techs in five years or six years, sure. you said. That's sure. um I mean, that's quite a stat. So sure. what are some of the key things that you've you've put into place to to see that type of retention? Well, I think, I think number one, I value my technicians. Uh, I, I show them a lot of respect. I mean, I, they do a job I could never do. <laughs> and it's amazing to me when you see somebody take an engine apart mm-hmm. or completely remove the dash on a car and you see how many parts are there. And, oh. and these, these guys get them back together somehow and they work. I mean, to me, that's just amazing. So you have to value the job that they do. These are professionals. They're highly trained. Um, we, we really promote training for our technicians. I currently have four GM world-class techs on staff. Really? There isn't a dealership in the country that has four GM world-class techs. Wow. I'm going to have another one become world-class here in a couple months. So uh, our training percentages are extremely high. We have to be 100%, according to GM, we're to 250% in our training standards. Because I think it's important that if somebody comes on, you instill that quality in them that they want to be the best at the job that they're doing. That's something that was instilled by my father with me, that regardless of what you do, do it to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. So I try and instill that on my techs, too. If you're going to be a tech, be the best tech you can be. Yeah. And that that means lots of lots of training, ongoing training, and trying to achieve those highest levels. So how do you balance the time, right? If somebody running a shop, you got how many how many bays did you say you have? Forty, uh, thirty some. Okay, yeah. So you got let's call it thirty five bays, right? And you got ten hours in a day, so you have three hundred fifty hours that you can sell mm-hmm. realistically in right. a day, right? Um, every every minute that goes by that there's a car you know, not being worked on in one of those bays, it's a minute you're not going to sell. Right. So, you know, you think about the balance between, okay, I got to be as efficient as possible in the shop. Right. uh, But I also need to get my training done. Sure. Right. 
how do you balance or maybe how do you how do you help techs balance that that time commitment? Yeah, it's setting that priority. I right. mean, it's it's very easy for somebody to say, you know what, I'm just going to keep pushing these these hours, keep pushing the productivity and the training can wait. Mm-hmm. But that's being short sighted right. because in the long run, you hurt yourself by doing that. So there are certainly times where I would rather not have a technician be out of his bay and training. Yeah. But I know in the long run. I benefit from that and the technician benefits from that. So you have to manage it well. I'm lucky enough to have a shop foreman that is uh, just a a real professional and he helps me manage the training. He keeps all the schedules and, you know, we we balance it out pretty well. Yeah. So but I, I think it's important that you have built in efficiencies in your shop. That has to happen because. Everybody talks about what an hourly rate is for a technician, but what are you multiplying that by? Is the technician just barely able to scrape by 40 hours a week, or is that technician producing 70, 80, 90 hours a week? That's the difference in a flat rate environment. So you have to have the programs, the policies, and and the software programs in place to make that happen. Um, That's, I think, the first thing that most places need to look at is their efficiencies in their processes. Now, do you um, get into the nuts and bolts a little bit? Do you pay techs for training? So if they, you know, they're, they're booking hours basically in mm-hmm. training, so they're investing hours. Those are hours that they're not gonna they're not gonna book working on a car, right? Yep. Um, yep. Do you pay them for that training? We do. Okay, we do, and we pay them their average pay, not just a flat hourly. We pay them their average rate. Okay, so, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're paying them for the training. Um, we also pay travel. Sometimes the training's out of town. You know, we have sometimes airline uh, mm-hmm. reservations, hotel reservations, rental car reservations. It's expensive. Right. It's it's quite expensive. Right. But there's a value. Well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so then thinking about that, too, and you're thinking about managing that shop, you mentioned your foreman. Um, you know, what is what is kind of the standard there? Is it so? I'm a technician, right? And say, um, well, I guess maybe we can start. Say, I'm new. I, I come mm-hmm. in and and uh, I'm I'm a newbie in your shop. Um, <clears throat> what is the expectation for me on number of hours per? Maybe it's per week. Maybe it's per day. Maybe it's per month. I don't know what it is. But mm-hmm. do you have a standard on you're expected to do training for two hours every week, or is, is there a number? There isn't really a number, and it's different depending on which. Uh, which place in the process you're in. Well, sure. So obviously most of my techs, all of my techs now come through um, my apprenticeship program. So that is a controlled program that I go out and I find young people, uh, men and women in high school, uh, and we start training them uh, from the time they're juniors in high school. And uh, we, we help them along through their high school program. If they're in an automotive program, some aren't. Um, but then we encourage them to, to attend Sinclair College after that. Yeah. So that is a, you know, there's a GM ASAP <laughs> program that's a, a terrific program. So we encourage that and we, we help them get through that program. So all of that training is all pre-programmed in these, in these uh, different programs that we're using. Um, once they are through that and they are a flat rate technician, um, then we monitor. We don't have a set amount each day, each week, each, you know, but we monitor each technician and we're encouraging them to do as much as they can as often as they can. 
Yeah. And and honestly, we've developed this this reputation that everybody wants to train when they come to work for us. Yeah. You know, that's that's expected. Mm-hmm. That's talked about right up front. So there's no there's no problem. You don't have to try and encourage them. You don't have to try and coerce them into doing it. Everybody wants to do it. Yeah. That's why I have four world-class techs. Yeah. It's not because I wanted them to be world-class. Yeah. It's because they wanted to be world-class. Right. Right. So do you find that, so somebody does uh, a training program, right? <clears throat> do you find that, that them doing it kind of in sections where, um, and uh, forgive my ignorance, but you know, let's say there's a, um, um, uh, maybe I'll ask you, give me an example of a, a class or a program that a tech might go through. What's one of the recent ones? So right now, EV is a big push. Yeah, so sure. there are EV specialty classes and there is a category to be an EV master. Okay. So multiple courses lead you to that EV master tech. Okay. So uh, I, I go and I take one of these EV courses, mm-hmm. right? Do you find that spacing these out in a way that you can have somebody kind of go do the training, right? Take the course, come back and then do that work for some period of time uh, before continuing on to the other courses. Is, is that beneficial or is it more beneficial to have them kind of go through all of the coursework and then they're, they're certified to, to me. And this is part of one, but when I learn something, usually if I can, if I can go kind of execute what I learned, absolutely. it sticks a lot better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We always talk about learn and do, Yeah, you know, that, that is a, the, a great way for that, that classroom work to stick right because you take that classroom work and then immediately you're out there applying it so the gma set program is a great example of that so in that program it's a two-year program uh the student goes to school for eight weeks full-time and then they come and work at the dealership for eight weeks full-time so that is definitely a learn do environment because everything they're learning over that eight weeks they're coming and putting it into practice and they go back and then have another set of classes for eight weeks. Okay. So that's that's one of the beauties of that program. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, you mentioned EV, so I'm curious too, and, and obviously every market's different, but so do you are you seeing yet the volume of EV maintenance and repair work to you know allow techs to get the reps in on, on working on those vehicles? No. Not yet. Okay. No. There's just not there's not enough vehicles out there. You right. know, we've had the the bolt out there sure. for a few years and, and you know we get a handful of those in but we might be talking a couple of months at this point that we see in the shop yeah uh so it's very difficult and uh i think it's still going to be some time before we get the volume out there before we get those reps yeah yeah i, I would agree it just uh, well while volume is increasing um it's certainly not by any stretch the majority right no and it's certainly not um and and it won't be for years the majority of vehicles in your shop right Right. even if we sell them it's um, gonna take a while before they start (laughs) being seen in the shop for sure right yeah Yeah, and and maintenance intervals are just completely different and what does that even look like so and um, who knows if we sell the volume that they're talking about i mean those things change yep they do and and again each market's different too sure right yeah i mean if you're in la i'm sure you get lots of them right but here in ohio not so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, no, that's great. So, so thinking about then, uh, training is obviously one big aspect of, of what you're doing. It sounds like a selective hiring process is as well. Um, sure. maybe, maybe I'm reading that, that incorrectly, but can you maybe expand a little bit on, um, well, I, I guess first start, do you, 
are you actively expanding? Do you need to hire techs right now? It doesn't sound like you lose anybody. So, so maybe no. that's not even a. I expand by the by the technicians I develop. Okay. So I I like uh, I have not hired a technician for years, and I have no intention of doing so. Okay. I have enough people in the process of my apprenticeship program that I'll have more techs than what I need going forward. So my priority is continuing to feed that machine at the low end. So I spent a lot of time out at the high schools. I'm, yeah. I'm on the advisory boards of several high schools. I'm on the advisory board of Sinclair College. So I work with the automotive programs. I have a very close relationship with the instructors in the automotive programs. Um, we talk about potential uh, hirees. You know, we identify the kids that, you know, seem to be sharp. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for for students that are necessarily, you know, have experience or so sharp in automotive. We're looking for work ethic. Mm-hmm. We're looking for aptitude and attitude. You know, if you give me those three things, yeah. I can make you anything you want to be. Yeah. But I have to have those three things. So obviously with high school students, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are not the most outgoing and, you know, don't express themselves very well. So, you know, we do get a little bit of a turnover in our high school students because sure. we bring them in and we give them a try. And some, some of them don't stick. It's just the way it's going to be. Unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of dealerships look at that where, oh, I've tried that, but, uh, you know, those kids weren't very good, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if if you get 25% of the kids you come in turn out to be great technicians, yeah. wow. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. So, yeah. it's it's a long project. Mm-hmm. When I when I identify a student, I got 6 years before they're paying off. Yeah. Not too many people want to invest that kind of time. That's true. But once you've invested that time for a while, now you have this machine turning over where as long as you continue to feed it, you're going to continue to push technicians out on the other end. And it's the people that make it through that process are now your technicians. Right. They're fully aware of what's expected, what the culture is. They they have buy-in at that point. And that's one of the reasons why I, I don't have a lot of turnover is because a lot of these guys at this point have gone through that process. Yeah, no, that's good. So <clears throat> you're, you're to a point now where, you know, you're pretty stable, it sounds mm-hmm. like, and, and you have this constant influx and, and you have a good process. Um, what was it like when you started? So you said seven years ago, you kind of made the decision, we're going to do this differently. Mm-hmm. We're going to invest early. Um, so if you're, did, did you start out in the high schools and things like that, where you're trying to pull in a bunch of people um, and you're turning them over and that's okay. Um, you know, cause, cause today you turn them over and, and worst case you've, you've influenced a kid in a positive way. Sure. Right. Right. Um, best case they, they stay on and they become a world-class tech someday. Right. So, um, it's all upside here, but if you're starting from scratch, right. Mm-hmm. If I, if I'm a service manager that just got promoted and I'm taking over a facility that, um, you know, maybe it needs a little work and maybe sure. we do have a problem with turnover. Sure. Um, you know, what, I don't know, what did that experience look like for, for you? Not to say that you came into a mess or anything, but you know, when you're, when you're thinking about restructuring how you hire, um, I don't know, what did the process look for you, look like for you? So, yeah, I definitely didn't come into a mess. I was lucky enough. I had, I had a, you know, pretty good group of technicians and, um, but we had, 
we had a percentage of unproductive technicians and eventually we weeded through that and you know we ended up with the people that you know really wanted to be there and the ones we we really wanted there yeah um so then it's now okay i need people how do i do that well i i tried the the traditional hiring process you know let me give you more money than you're making now and you know come on over and you know, very, very limited success with that. And yep. I think most people will admit every once in a while you you luck into one that sticks around, but yeah. mostly they're hired hands that come and go. So uh, I have a, a, a partner there, Doug Brush, who's another service manager with our organization. Mm-hmm. And he and I decided to start doing this together. So we started going to the high schools and it starts out with Job shadowing is the first thing we do. Yeah. You know, we talk to these these students and we we arrange field trips with the the school. We have them come out and as a group and do tours and and have talks and we go visit them in class and I bring different people. I might bring my shop foreman or a different technician out and talk to the kids and you just you just have to start developing that relationship. Yeah. And then eventually these students will say Boy, I've seen these people multiple times. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody else. I've seen the Voss guys. Right. So let me let me see about going and job shadowing there. Mm-hmm. And then they like the environment when they job shadow. And then they start working part time. And so it's an investment. I mean, I we work a lot of events. We go to the open houses. We go to the parent nights. Okay. Yeah. Um, things like that. That when we first started this, we were the only ones there. Yeah. There's more there now. Right. People are starting to catch on that, yeah. hey, this is a good way to do it. But, um, you know, getting to the parents is a, is a great thing to do. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions on what this profession is. Yeah. Um, so spending time talking with parents and the students, you know, at, at a young age. And, and it's, it's just a, an investment of your, of your time at that point. Right. So how do you get started in that, right? If I'm, um, you know, again, new service manager in mm-hmm. whatever Knoxville, Tennessee, sure, right? And I and I take over a store, and I need to to implement something like this, but maybe I moved there, right? You right. moved here, right? Right. So yeah. you know, which who do you reach out to? What what high schools do you go to? Right. How do you find the community college? Like what? Um, I don't know. How how do you get get started or maybe how did you get started at least? And I mean, is it just picking up the phone? Like what what do you do to kind of get out that door? Yeah, I think it is just doing a little bit of research. Um, You can find through your different high schools, whether it's a, you know, a county or a township or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you can contact the school board. You can find out which high schools uh, have CTC programs. Um, You know, CTC is becoming huge around the country. So you're starting to see the expansion of these programs in a lot of different areas. Um, There's a lot of money being invested in these. Mm -hmm. If you look at some of the CTC schools here in the Dayton area, Mm -hmm. they're fabulous facilities, huge money spent on these facilities. But a lot of these students are coming into these programs and don't really know where to go after that. So they're really dying for dealerships and, and, and repair shops and, and to come in and work with them and, and help them, you know, build a, a path on where these students can go. Yeah. So is there typically, uh, in your experience, like a, 
a curriculum person that you would work with? Are you are you working with the, the teachers and instructors? Um, is it at the, the kind of, and it probably depends on the, the school, right? If it's a county sure. wide level or whatever. Sure. Um, is it is it like a school board type of thing? How, how does it, who are you talking to? I I'm talking to, to the to the automotive instructors. That's, okay, instructors that's where you themselves. want to go. Okay. Yeah. Then the instructors will lead you to other areas that you need to go. So through the instructors in several of the high schools that I work with now, mm-hmm. then they've had me, you know, speak to other people in the school system, principals and and different administrators, and we've done different meetings with the with the schools. But mm-hmm. most all of these CTCs have advisory boards, okay. and that's that's what pays off. You got to get involved in the advisory boards. Because then you get to steer the program a little bit. Okay. So on these advisory boards, you can say, hey, listen, this is the type of training these students need. Uh, these are the type of equipment or systems that these students need to be aware of and at least have exposure to. Mm-hmm. So getting on these boards, is a, it, it, it's definitely the way to go. Yeah, that's great. But your, your first point of contact is the instructor. Does the instructor, instructor generally yeah. have... Um, leeway to just bring you into a class so you can talk to students and things like that and then you can kind of go from there? Yes, everyone that I work with does. Okay. So, and that's one of their objectives as a instructor is they are supposed to be developing industry partnerships. Mm. They've really put that on the individual instructors. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's great. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about, you mentioned equipment. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm also curious in, in your store, at least from an equipment perspective, also a tools perspective. Um, you know, I, I've talked to dealers who they'll they'll buy a lot of a lot of tools for their techs. I've talked to others who say, sure. "Well, the techs should own it." You know, it's it's their sure. stuff. Um, I, I, what does that look like for for your store, your technicians, from a tools perspective? Are you supplying a lot? Is it is it on the technician? Is there any program there? So tools are a big issue. Obviously, uh, uh, an experienced flat tech. Flat rate technician will have tens and tens of thousands of dollars yep. tied up in tools. Um, <clears throat> so from a, a student starting out, that can be daunting right. for sure. So we offer tools for them to get started. We have basic tools that are needed. Most of the students that come to work for us, they start out on the uh, express team. Sure. So we have toolboxes with everything that's needed to do that job. We also try and advise them on how to approach the tool situation because you know between snap-on and mac and these guys are professionals they're, <laughs> they're generally great people but listen their job is to sell you tools yeah and and lots of times students get enamored with the oh i gotta have this box or i gotta have these tools and so we have we have gone so far to make them a list So we hand them a list. These are the tools you need to look at starting out with. Also, there's plenty of ways to do that short of buying new tools. Mm -hmm. You know, Facebook Marketplace and and, and all these other places. There's lots of people that are ex-technicians. At some point, they sell their tools. So there are a lot of places you can buy used tools. So we try and guide them through that. And then eventually they start buying off of the trucks and mm-hmm. but we try and get them to temper it a little bit because you can get carried away with that oh yeah well and then you know you go to a mac truck they'll heck they'll finance it for you right absolutely and then, then all of absolutely. a sudden you got twenty dollars a week for the rest of your life you <laughs> know it's, yeah yeah and, and it's, it's easy 
for right. these kids to get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. So you have you have to be careful with that. Now, we provide a lot of tools, and it's becoming a lot more that way. There's a lot of specialty tools right. as as these cars get more and more complicated. You've got more and more specialty tools. We provide the specialty tools. Yeah. We spend ten fifteen thousand dollars every year with with required tools from yeah. the manufacturer. Are those managed by the parts department? For us, they're the not. They're managed, they're managed by my shop foreman. Okay. So we have a tool room that stays locked and tools are checked in and out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's one person, one point of contact. And yep. Yep. We have, a, the shop. we have a computer system tool net that manages it for us. So you can go on and see if you have the tool, who was the last one to have it and, you know, make sure it was returned. And so, yeah, um, We've got a lot of money tied up in those tools. So, right. we, you know, that cannot be just a free-for-all. Right. You'll lose control very quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Not that people are taking them, but you don't know where they are. They could be spread all over the shop. Well, yeah, and it's it's generally not something that's on purpose, right? It's just right. you sure. didn't take it back. Right. And then three days go by, and yeah. then you don't, and it's underneath four different things. You right. don't remember it's there. Right. So, or, oh, wait, I gave that to Jimmy who <laughs> did this and that. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like a key on the front end of the store. Right. Right. Well, you better have control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the same thing. Good. Yep. Okay. Um, what about equipment in the store? So earlier we talked a little bit on EVs and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously GM's going down that path. So right. your stores, um, have you started to, to see the requirement and capital investments in the shop specifically for EV vehicles or have you had to Absolutely. make any changes? Absolutely. Okay. We, uh, we are just finishing up install of, several chargers that were required okay over a hundred thousand dollar investment just right. for a couple of chargers um you know the essential tools are the tools that that the manufacturer deems you have to have there there's no option they're just sent to you and your account is debited the amount of those tools right. and you know they're not bargains i can tell you that much <laughs> you know, you're paying retail plus for these tools so there's a huge investment in special tools not to mention shop equipment. You know, you have to have, uh, for the EVs, you have to have a certain type of lift. We had to buy new, a couple of new lifts. Okay. Um, is that based it, off of volume or expected volume or how does, so, you know, a couple new lifts, is that because it's expected based off of sales volume in the area that you'll have X number of ROs or? No, that that was not based on volume. That was based on if you want to be an EV dealer, you have to have this. Minimum requirement. So you this have is, to have a forklift with these standards and it's a, it's a big old forklift. Oh yeah. Uh, you have to have a car lift with these standards. If you don't have those things, you cannot effectively service EV vehicles, in which case you cannot be an EV dealer, they won't allow you to sell them. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty it's a pretty tight process, and it's it's there's no trust me. Uh, you know, they come out and inspect and make sure you have all these things that you're supposed to have. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's quite an investment. Yeah. But you're you're kind of on the on the back end of that at this point. You feel like yeah, most of the big stuff where it, it's done. I'm sure going forward there'll be more tools and things that will sure. happen but at least with gm they're using this ultimum platform and this mm-hmm. platform is supposed to be continued through all the different models for the foreseeable future Good. so once you have lifts and and uh other equipment that handles this ultimum platform then you're going to be good for a little while good yeah. good 
But like everything, it changes. Well, yeah. Over time, we'll see, <laughs> right. we'll see change. Right. right. Um, one other thing I wanted to hit on while I, while I have you, Tim, is, um, you, you know, you talked about how you have a decent percentage, you know, uh, what would you say, five out of out of 23. So what's that math? 20%, yeah. 22%, mm-hmm. something like that, right. of your techs are world-class techs. Right. Um, once a technician reaches that level, um, what's... What's next for them? You know, because you, you think about it, you bring somebody in out of high school or in high school, sure. and you grow them and you grow them and you grow them, and and they've had this this growth mindset and the ability to t- to continue to grow and, and see new challenges and, and right. solve new problems in the shop, um, and they get to this level where it's I mean they're elite, right? right? Um, how do you keep them growing? How do you keep them motivated? What's driving them at that point when they've, they've had this growth mindset and they get to the point where it's like, man, I made it, right? right. I got to the end. Well, not the end, but right. you know, I'm at, right. a, sure. at a really high level. Yeah. Um, how do you keep feeding that beast? That That's a difficult question. Uh, I, I think it, it just has to be what you instill in these guys as being professionals and professionals means that you're always at the top of your game Mm -hmm. so you're always taking on new training they always add training to the program that's true there's never there never a year goes by where there isn't some required training for everyone um but case in point i have a young man that was the very first recruit i had i got him out of high school as a junior and he just became world-class now he has been with me now for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's amazingly quick yeah, it is. Uh, ascent to that level. Amazing, um, and he's a, a huge producer and just a great technician for us. So yeah, you do have to find ways to keep these guys engaged. One of the ways I keep them engaged is they become mentors for my young people, and. A lot of people uh, embrace that as, you know, I'm able to pass that on to somebody else. Um, I can see somebody else grow, but I can also benefit financially because I make sure that they get the benefits of, you know, what these uh, young people are able to do for them. So they work together as a team. And so that helps increase their productivity. but it also helps them feel real good about what they're doing because they're taking on that young person and helping them build a career. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it. That's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, um, that's it, one of the big problems in this industry is a lot of technicians don't want to work with other technicians. Yeah. They don't want to train people. You know, they're like, I did my thing, you go do your thing. Right. Um, that's not an issue for us. Um, every technician in our shop will help somebody else. and by doing this mentorship program that just takes it to a new level how much of that so you know with it not being a problem for you how much of that do you think is is due to the people that you hire right the people that you have as part of your your team and how much of it is due to the i guess culture that you've built um you know what's what's the balance sure it's clearly both um you know you have to maintain that culture um I don't know. I, maybe a maybe a fifty yeah. fifty. Um, but it, it has to be fostered. It has to be monitored all the time. You have to find ways for it to work for everybody. So there are certainly bumps in the road. By no means are we perfect with things. Right. There are definitely issues that come up along the way, but it requires you to intervene in those issues quickly and find solutions to them that work for everybody. Which isn't always easy to do, right. but at least you're trying. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of the frustrations you get with a lot of technicians is they feel like nobody cares. Yeah. You know, they feel like they have these issues that they might complain about and nothing ever happens. Um, So I I really think it's important that you are uh, bringing them into the solutions. You know, it's got to be a team effort. Yeah. You know, I ultimately am the decision maker. But listen, whatever I do, these people are going to live with. So they better be part of the solution. Because yeah. if I just mandate, eh, I don't know how successful that would be. Yeah, you'll probably be having the same conversation again in a couple months. Right. And I've been in the business long enough where I used to be a mandator. <laughs> yeah. And you can't anymore. I mean, that's just not the way you can manage people. Right. No, that's good. That's very good. Um, well, Tim, what uh, what haven't we talked uh, talked about that you want to? Anything anything we haven't touched on that we should? No, I think we covered a lot of territory. It was it was a fun conversation. I yeah, I love talking in. about this stuff. So <laughs> this is my passion, and I you know I go out and I talk to a lot of people about this. So uh, you know, again, I've been doing this for so long. Now this is where I get my kicks is by you know watching these kids develop. I mean, this one kid that was my first my first hire, I I talk about him all the time. I bring him along with me, you know, and, and, you know, let him talk about it. Because to me, that is a great joy in life now is, you know, watching these kids develop. I mean, this guy went from, you know, a high school student to, you know, buying a brand new Silverado Duramax to buying a home to, you know, developing a, a, you know, a, a real successful, you know, life. Yeah. At a pretty young age too. At a very young age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think he's 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So it's hopefully, awesome. you know, many more years with you and right. you uh, better be grow. there forever. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Well, Tim, thank you very much for uh, sitting down and chat. It was a lot of fun. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and staying involved in the community and pulling those, pulling those texts in. Thanks, Greg. I, I enjoyed it. Yep. We'll see you. All right. What a great conversation with Tim Whalen. Uh, Tim, again, is the service manager at Boss Chevrolet here in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, lots of great nuggets in there. Maybe one to uh, even re-listen to and take some notes on if you, if you didn't the first time around. Uh, very educational. I appreciate Tim taking the time to talk with me. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Before we hop off, don't forget, you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks.